Welcome to the Plan B CRNA podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Jones, and I wanted to let you know that I'm changing things up a bit this summer. One of the benefits of passive income is being able to buy your time back. And that means for me, it's time for a vacation. It's pretty tough to do interviews though when I'm out of town. So in lieu of guests, I've decided to provide some education about real estate and apartment investing since this has been the key to my own financial freedom. I'll cover various topics that are integral to your own understanding for the entire month of July. Don't worry though, I'll be back with more Provider Spotlight interviews in August. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy your summer and these episodes. Now, on with the show. Hello, my name is Bobby Jones, and I'm a former CRNA turned apartment investor. I often get questions about apartment investing, but let's start at the very beginning. What exactly is an apartment syndication? When folks hear the word syndication, they may feel inclined to think of mob bosses and crime syndicates, but this couldn't be further from the truth. An apartment syndication is simply when several investors pool their money together to purchase an apartment building and execute the project's business plan. There are many different structures for a syndication, but one of the most common is a split partnership with general partners and limited partners. General partners are also known as the operators or syndicators. They are a team that finds an apartment deal, secures the loan, raises money from qualified investors, and develops and executes the business plan. Limited partners are also known as passive investors. They are qualified investors who put money into a particular deal with the idea of getting a return on their investment through monthly or quarterly cash distributions and sale proceeds. So what exactly makes one a qualified investor? Generally speaking, there are two types of qualified investors. Number one, an accredited investor. That's a person with an annual income of $200,000 or joint income of $300,000 that they can prove for the last two years or personal net worth that exceeds $1 million. These parameters can always change, so make sure you check out the sec.gov website for updates. Number two, sophisticated investors. Those are people who don't meet the accredited investor requirements, but they have knowledge and or experience in financing and business matters such that they can adequately assess the risks and benefits of a given investment. I compare this relationship to investing in stocks, Let's say you buy some shares of Coca-Cola stock. You like the vision the company has for the future, and you feel that their stock will go up over time. They also pay you a cash distribution in the form of dividends. You have the benefits of being a stock investor, so your gains are taxed at the lower capital gains tax rates rather than standard income tax rates. Owning shares of Coca-Cola stock doesn't mean you are going to start making decisions for the company. You're simply a passive investor helping them raise capital for their business. In syndications, the relationship is very similar. You invest in a company that has a business plan to purchase and improve financials for a given apartment building. In exchange, you receive cash distributions and participate in the upside of a sale. You receive tax benefits for being a real estate owner that are much more tax advantaged than standard income tax rates. You passively enjoy the benefits while the management team carries out the vision of the business plan. Now, when I started learning about apartment syndications, two of the terms that I heard thrown around were 506B and 506C. Now, this sounded like a bunch of legal gobbledygook to me at first. Being a CRNA by trade with no background in real estate, I spent months educating myself through podcasts, reliable internet sources, and investing books. 
And after more time and learning, I discovered that these two terms were rules from SEC Regulation D and that the difference between them is significant for passive investors. In 2012, the Jobs Act was passed, and that allowed businesses to advertise and sell securities as long as they were made only to accredited investors verified using reasonable steps. Accredited investors are people who have $200,000 in income individually or $300,000 jointly with a spouse or a $1 million net worth individually or jointly. For the previous 80 years, companies that wished to sell private securities had to rely on friends, family, and their own networks because general solicitation or advertising was not allowed by securities law. Previously, the only way investors had access to deals was if they knew a guy who knew a guy. But that all changed in September of 2013 when the Jobs Act was finally put into effect, notably modifying the Securities Act of 1933 by splitting Rule 506 into two sections, 506B and 506C. What is 506B? Well, we already went over. The original rule was known as Rule 506, but now that rule is Rule 506B. It allows a company to raise an unlimited amount of money from an unlimited amount of accredited investors and up to 35 sophisticated investors. Now, that's an important point there. A sophisticated investor is someone who has such knowledge and experience in financial and business matters that he or she can evaluate the merits and risks of a prospective investment. These investors don't have the income or net worth of an accredited investor. Now, don't worry, you don't need to wear a suit and tie for an interview or go through some grueling vetting process here. Perhaps you've started your own business in the past, or you have an established base of knowledge in the underlying asset class. A quick discussion with a potential sponsor is enough for them to evaluate your experience and establish a relationship if you haven't yet reached accredited status. Many nurse anesthesiologists, dentists, and even physicians fit into the sophisticated category when they're first starting out. This is great news for regular investors. Now they can invest in apartment deals that only accredited investors had access to in the past. If you do fall in the accredited investor category, then you're able to self-certify for 506B deals by simply attesting that you meet the conditions of an accredited investor. So what are some general guidelines for these 506B investments? Well, you cannot advertise or solicit these types of securities. That's prohibited because you are including sophisticated investors and you don't have a vetting process. Syndicators are allowed to sell to an unlimited number of accredited investors and up to 35 non-accredited but sophisticated investors. They must provide to the non-accredited investors uh, disclosure documents, including an audit of the fund's balance sheet. The issuer may rely on investor self-certification, as we mentioned before. An accredited investor simply has to attest that they meet the conditions of an accredited investor. That's it. No third-party verification necessary. And the issuer or sponsor must have a substantive pre-existing relationship with investors. Now, that last point is important. At OnCall Capital, we offer both types of deals. So we need to have a pre-existing relationship with you before showing you any 506B investment opportunity. If you haven't yet scheduled a call with me, please do so. Now, what is 506C? The second exception of Regulation D is 506C. And there are some big differences with this type of offering. Those selling securities can advertise to anyone here. You can put it out on Facebook, put it on social media, put it in the mail, any, anything you want, okay? But only accredited investors can be accepted in these offerings. 
the sponsor must be able to demonstrate that they took reasonable steps to ensure that all of those investors are actually accredited, which means there's no self-certifying allowed. You must be verified by a CPA, attorney, or registered broker dealer uh, who has reviewed the investor financials. Okay, And the other thing about 506C investments is that no substantive pre-existing relationship is required to invest. When you first starting to learn about apartment investing, you'll often hear people say things like, yeah, we were able to JV that deal, or we couldn't find enough partners to JV, so we ended up syndicating. You may even hear newbie investors use the two terms interchangeably, which is a real no-no. So what is a JV and how is it different from a syndication? Well, a JV is a joint venture, and it is a lot different from a syndication. In a joint venture, you're probably only bringing in a handful of people into the ownership group. Also, everyone in the ownership group is involved. Their ownership stake may depend on their level of involvement or capital that they brought to the table, but they all have decision-making authority and unlimited liability from the investment. For example, let's say that I wanted to take down a 10-unit property that costs $750,000. In this case, I estimate that I need to bring in about $300,000 of capital to cover the down payment and renovations. I'm able to bring $100,000 to the table myself, and I find out that my good friends Sally and Joe are each able to bring $100,000 to the deal as well. Now, we can purchase the property split the ownership of this 10 unit equally and have the capital to execute our business plan. This is a joint venture. Every owner is an active member and has decision-making authority in the property. Contrast this with a syndication where there are a split general partnership and limited partnership. The general partners do all of the heavy lifting. They find the property, find the loan, raise the capital and execute the business plan while sharing an equity split with the limited partners. The general partners hold unlimited liability while the limited partners hold, well, you guessed it, limited liability in the property. So limited partners also hold no authority in how the business plan is carried out as well. So let's take another example. Let's say there's a 100-unit building that costs $7.5 million to acquire. In this case, you estimate that you need to bring in around $3 million to cover the down payment and still have enough capital to complete the renovations in your business plan. But $3 million is a pretty large chunk of change. You, Sally, and Joe decide to become general partners, and each of you still brings $100,000 of your own money to the table. However, the three of you are also able to raise $900,000 each from your individual passive investor networks, reaching the $3 million that you need to purchase the property and implement your plan. You decide to do a 70-30 split with the limited partners where they have 70% equity and the GP has 30%. Since you, Sally and Joe are actively managing the property and business plan, you are the general partners and hold unlimited liability. You are also compensated for your efforts in the form of a few general partner fees. You can check out my other video on those. Uh, joint ventures allow a few investors to take down a small to medium-sized property, provided that they have enough of their own capital to do so. JVs are much less expensive to form, and all members have defined and active roles in the ongoing management of the project. You're able to keep a larger part of the profits for yourself, but your exposure to risk is greater as an active manager. Syndications, on the other hand, allow people to take down much larger properties, either by being an active or passive member of the team. 
Syndications are more expensive to form since you must register with the SEC and create the supporting documentation with the help of a securities attorney. As a passive member, you can limit your liability while still garnering fantastic returns on an investment. As an active member, you can take down bigger projects with greater economies of scale that allow you to boost returns. Keep in mind that this is a simplification of these terms, and I'm not an attorney. It is vital that you consult with a securities attorney before forming any kind of a partnership to purchase real estate. Much of this comes down to the Howey test, which is used to determine whether certain investments qualify as investment contracts or securities. If you form a JV when a syndication is the proper structure, or vice versa, the resulting non-compliance with securities laws can cost tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in litigation fees. It can result in SEC fines and even jail time. So just watch out for those things. Make sure you consult that attorney uh, and, and don't get yourself into any hot water. I often get asked how general partners are compensated on an apartment deal. While the majority of what a GP receives comes when a property is actually sold, there are other fees that the general partners can include as part of their total compensation. With an apartment investment, it's a zero-sum game, meaning that a dollar going to the GP will be one less dollar going to the passive investors. However, those fees are built into any business plan, and they shouldn't affect the proposed returns of an investment. Now, let's go over these fees one by one. The first is an acquisition fee, and that is payable to the general partners at the closing uh, when they purchase a, an apartment, and that's usually a percentage of the purchase price. This fee will typically be added to the amount that is raised from investors. If you've never been a general partner, you should know that it takes a lot of work and effort to provide an investment opportunity for investors. Now, this fee compensates the GP for the amount of work they have already performed, and the typical range for that acquisition fee is between 2 to 3%. A disposition fee is a fee that's payable to the general partners at the sale of the property, and it's usually expressed as a percentage of the sales price. This fee is typically be paid before distributions to investors. Similar to acquisition, it also takes a lot of work to sell a property, and this fee compensates the general partners for that work. A typical disposition fee is approximately 1%. Refinance fee. It's similar to acquisition and disposition fees. This fee is a percentage of the property value and paid to compensate the GP for additional effort required to refinance a property. A typical refinance fee is approximately 1%. And last but not least, an asset management fee. This fee is payable to the general partners from the cash flow on any property. It's usually a percentage of the monthly gross revenue and compensates the GP for the effort that it takes to manage the asset. Now, many operators will hire a third-party asset manager, in which case the asset management fee will be their compensation. The typical range for an asset management fee is 1.5% to 2%. There you have it. These are the fees that help to compensate general partners for their work along the way. I hope this clears it up for you. If you've been around apartment investing for any amount of time, you've probably heard of a PPM. But what is a PPM? Well, that is a private placement memorandum. And it is a document, or better known uh, as a PDF file, that outlines the terms of an apartment investment and the primary risk factors associated with making an investment. These are often very long, 40 pages or more, and they are filled with legal and investment jargon about the investment offering in question. So the PPM is often comprised of at least four sections. 
The first is the introduction or summary, which is a brief or sometimes not so brief summary of the offering. This may be broken up into several sections, which often includes background on the location and city that a property is located in. Uh, that background often highlights population and job statistics, as well as educational and entertainment opportunities. Uh, it will also highlight the actual uh, terms of an investment offering. So uh, how much a property is being purchased for, how much is being put down as a uh, collateral for the loan, and uh, also how much is, is intended for any kind of repairs or uh, upkeep for the, the uh, property. So uh, number two is your basic disclosures. So that includes general partner information, uh, you know, the, the people that are the operators of the building that you're investing in, an asset description, and risk factors associated with any investment. So number three is the legal agreement. And while this section may outline certain legalese, you will be required to go over and sign a separate operating agreement um, should you actually decide to invest. Um, you'll also be looking at subscription agreements as well, which is number four. So a subscription agreement is a document that is a promise by the general partners to sell a specific number of shares to a limited partner at a specified price, and also a promise by the limited partner to pay that price. So that is a document that you would also sign. As a potential investor, you often only get access to the investment summary, um, which is pretty much that, that first section, unless you actually intend to invest. Once you decide to invest, you'll receive the entire PPM as part of the full disclosures and required signatures uh, necessary to move forward. It's important to note that even if you receive a PPM, you're not necessarily bound to sign it. And even when you sign a PPM, you're still not necessarily obligated to invest. You likely still have room to back out. It's not until you actually wire the money to the operators that your investment becomes binding. That's going to do it for the show. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Plan B CRNA podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure you hit subscribe and give us a five-star review. This show only grows because of you, so make sure you share it with a friend, family member, or colleague to help them on their own passive income journey. And if you'd like to know more about me and gain access to passive investment opportunities, make sure you find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or visit my website at www.oncallinvestments.com. This is Bobby Jones signing off. Until next time, be safe and take care of each other out there.